Welcome to the Lost Sierra Stories podcast, produced by the Sierra Institute for Community and Environment. My name is Nina Martin, the Communications Coordinator at Sierra Institute, and your host for this podcast. We wanted to start this podcast to capture stories about the resiliency and challenges facing people in our rural area during COVID-19, both to capture this time in history and to keep us connected as a community. Today, I'm bringing you an interview I did with Lisa Balbiani back in July. She's a teacher at Greenville Junior Senior High School, and she's been teaching there since 1996, which would have made the the 2019-2020 school year her 23rd year teaching there. She's mostly taught 7th through 12th English, but she also teaches Spanish, art, drama, photography, and occasionally sex education. Her interview brings a mix of experiences. She shares about her father-in-law contracting COVID-19 and his fight with the virus, as well as the contrast of living in an area with, at the time, very few COVID cases. And she also shares her overall just kind of optimism and positivity around the potential for COVID-19 to change the landscape of public education for the better. I think that it's interesting and, and hopeful to hear her and hear how she's been trying to meet the needs of her students and just make the best of the situation at hand. We know that school is going to start in a few weeks and it looks like it's going to continue to be virtual and remote. So we hope that these snapshots of these interviews that I did back a few months ago now can just kind of bring a little bit of perspective for what the end of last year was and know that going forward, you know, things are going to continue to look different and to change. And But these are just some interesting snapshots of, of what that time in quarantine and remote learning looked like initially. So I hope you enjoy this interview and thanks for tuning in. You can find us now on on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks so much for being willing to be interviewed, Lisa. I'd love to just hear how prepared or unprepared you felt you were going into virtual and remote teaching. Fortunately, when the district decided to go one-to-one a few years ago with laptops for students, I was sent to Q Training, which is Computer Using Educators, and I went through the Google training certification. So I, I got pretty comfortable with online learning in that format. And this is my third school year using Google Classroom. And so Google Classroom has been a huge help. It's a great way that I've been able to communicate with kids. It's something that they're comfortable with. In my classroom specifically, even before distance learning started, they were logging in on their one-to-one laptops. I want to say, oh, a minimum of three days a week because our, our daily warmups have been generated through Google Classroom all school year and then most of last school year as well. Not all assignments are posted in Google Classroom. Now, many of them are, but not all of them had been in the past. And so that was probably the easiest transition for my students and I was using the, the Google platform and having them check their email, things like that. And so that was that was easy. There is a, a big difference between actual, like holding a book literacy and, um, you know, looking at an, an article or a newspaper article that you can physically hold in your hand to digital literacy. And so that's a transition that we've been working on for a few years and trying to help kids with digital literacy because it is different and it is difficult. And it is for, for kids who are used to holding a book in their hand. Yeah, it's it's different. It's difficult. But um, that's something that we've been working on anyway. And so that's been a little bit easier. And so fortunately, I feel like I was pretty well prepared and decently suited to to kind of and to transition into this and same thing with my students too. 
do you so you feel like you were prepared to go online you were prepared to do virtual learning however without the supplementation of in-classroom work there's still that challenge absolutely me personally my best part of my teaching day my best part of my job my best part of my classroom is the relationships that I have with my kids and it's it's seeing them it's interacting with them on a on a personal level and so that's I'm so fortunate that we live in a small valley and I have some of these kids for six years. Plus I know them socially and I know their parents. And so it's those relationships that are hugely important in my classroom. That's the best part of my, my job and of, of working with my students are those personal relationships. And I, I, it's very different. And so I need to relearn my kids and how to, to help them in a digital setting because you know, I can look at you face to face, but if I'm not making eye contact, then, you know, they could be looking at their phone. They haven't eaten that day. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know what's going on with them and I can't get a good feel for that through technology. And so I feel very disconnected from my kids. And so, no, I can't help them as well. I don't have, and like I said, I, I'm missing the best part of my classroom, which is that classroom relationship relationship with my kids. Yeah. How do you feel the the kids are responding emotionally and socially when they're talking with you? I mean, what are some of the things that they're bringing up as their biggest challenges? And because you teach such a wide range of ages, you know, what are you kind of getting from the, the different age groups? I'm sure seniors are experiencing something very different because that's going to be a difficult transition. They are. And like I said, I've had the best success with junior high. And I think because they're younger, it's easier for their parents to keep them to a schedule. They don't have the the pull or the allure of, of work and of making money. And so they are more homebound with probably a more supervised environment, at least the ones that I'm seeing and the ones who are being successful. So the, the younger kids, it's easier to, to have that relationship and that it's easier to keep them in um, a routine. With the older kids, the juniors and seniors, those who are academically motivated are struggling. And you would think that they wouldn't be, but those are also my same kids who are now working, who are um, my own senior. She's really struggling because without that that school, even though I have her and and I can help her with all those things, She's really, she's struggling as far as staying connected to the whole academic piece and for being prepared to go off to college in the fall. And she made the decision to go to community college. And I have a lot of kids, as far as kids who are going off to a four-year in this senior class, I don't think we have any. I think they've all chosen to go the community college route, which is fine. It's absolutely okay, but I feel like they they are not, they don't feel like seniors. And that part of that is social emotional and part of that is academic. I have some kids socially emotionally that I am extremely worried about. And I know that they feel isolated and that um, they don't have the same access to resources that they have at school. I have one that I talked to my colleagues about in particular, who is a, um, a student with an IEP, an individualized education educational plan. And his primary teacher has been great as far as reaching out to him and and some other things, but he doesn't sound upbeat. And I have a few kids that, that are not connecting that I think are probably making sketchy choices because they don't have, you know, adults that are in their life six hours a day saying, make good choices, make good choices. And they have parents that are at work. They don't have that safety net. And so and it's mostly, I would say the juniors and seniors, the freshmen and the sophomores, 
some of those guys are just squirrely and that's age. And I expect that. But um, I, I had a heartbreaking email and basically it was a student saying, I'm sorry that I haven't been at my Zoom meetings. I don't want to be at home right now. And so I haven't been logging in and I haven't been doing my schoolwork because I don't want to be at home. That breaks my heart. That is heartbreaking. It is. It is heartbreaking. Yeah, that's a challenging place to be as a student and as a teacher trying to, I mean, how do you help them? I, I mean, what are your... Talk to her. I talk to her. I call her. I text her. That's all I can do. Yeah. Do you have thoughts for long-term? How do you think this is going to affect students after the school year is over, next fall, whether they're a senior or they're another grade and they're, you know, they're going to move on? What do you see as some long-term effects that you might need to address later on? Like whether that's with social emotional or just helping them catch up in some academic areas, they're going to fall behind. I mean, what things are you concerned that you need to try to address once you can? Do you have certain things? I have ideas, but right now, because there are so many things that are uncertain, even when we return in the fall, what that's going to look like, I don't know what that's going to look like yet. And so certainty of not knowing, you know, because my, my biggest class is my freshmen and sophomores and they're, it's their age and they're great and they have a ton of energy and most of them are, are pretty upbeat. Some of them really struggle socially, emotionally, but right now, I don't know how many kids I'm going to have in a classroom at a time, how my day is going to look, how their day is going to look, how much time they're going to be spending with their peers. And so socially, emotionally, yeah, it's going to be weird to reconnect them because a lot of them really feel like this is just a huge prolonged summer break. And it is for some of them. And as far as, as remediation academically, I'm the least worried about that. I'm the most worried about providing them a safe place to take academic and social emotional risks. And I know that that sounds weird, but my classroom needs to be a safe place for them to be able to express themselves academically and intellectually and provide that kind of critical thinking growth area. That's the most that I worry about. Right. Not having that space right now at home or not being challenged in certain ways, creatively or academically or emotionally. Having a, a constructive, reasonably, you know, for a 14, 15 year old intellectual conversation or using uh, language that that requires them to to put sentences together because they're not getting it. Right. Well, what about coronavirus for you and your family and how this has affected you personally as well as professionally? I know uh, you have a little bit of an interesting experience and, and personal encounter with COVID. So I don't know if you want to share that, but I'd love to kind of hear your perspective. So a couple interesting things just in my life. One of them is my father-in-law was diagnosed with COVID-19. He was in intensive care for 27 days. He was in a coma 11 days. My mother-in-law could not leave the house. No ins, no outs. She could not see him. She could not communicate with him. We could not communicate with him. In all honesty, he's lucky to be alive. Home from the hospital on Friday with the, the caveat that he needed help obviously, because he can barely walk and he has to relearn kind of how to feed himself and, and everything else. And so my ex-husband person moved down there to be with his parents to help in that situation. And because he is still testing positive, even after being in intensive care and being in the hospital for 27 days, they are on 
no in, no out status. So my girls cannot see their father right now. He's down in Santa Clara County. And um, yeah, they can't, they have, my mother-in-law has had literally no physical contact with another human being in a month. Oh my goodness. Devastating for her. And it's awful. So that's one extreme. And in my family, the other extreme is Tehama County, where we're living right now, has had one confirmed case and one death. That's it. Right. I guess that just kind of shows the extremes that is COVID. I've seen that all over the place, that it's really hitting certain areas and certain populations very hard and for others, not so much. But I think, you know, new information is coming out all the time. I'm just so glad that your father-in-law survived. And it just sounds so challenging and devastating for all involved. I'm really sorry that your family had to experience that. Are there Are there any things that you've learned or that have changed because of going remote, doing virtual learning that, or anything else related, you know, to to academics or just to school in general that you would like to see continue even after, you know, COVID-19, the curve is flat and things are, you know, back to normal as much as they can be. I don't know. They'll never be back to normal. And that's the best thing. Change. Okay. Change is inspiring. Change is motivating. Changes is liberating. And maybe it is, it is the best situation to turn public education on its head and remove ourselves from that traditional model that doesn't work for everybody anymore. And so I think honestly, this is an amazing opportunity to, to redo and relearn both as, as teachers and adults and as students as far as being innovative and and helping kids and rethinking, okay, what are we doing that's working? What are we doing that's just not working in this old model? So can I, how can I do the things that are working well, that are the, all those accommodations that we're making for our students now have to keep happening. We have to keep saying, we have to try harder. We have to try harder. We have to try harder to reach these kids and not look at this thing as a huge obstacle, but as a huge opportunity of, of rethinking what we're doing so that we can reach more students, be more creative, be more innovative and think, yeah, we have 30% of our kids that, that might not have great access to technology, but you know, we also need to be more concerned about their social emotional well-being when we don't see them face to face. I want to see this as a list to do good things. I, I don't want to go back to whatever we had before in August or in September or in July or whenever that is. That has to change. 30 kids in a classroom model wasn't working for everyone. It was working for some, but wasn't working for everybody. And if we have the chance to re-examine what we're doing to make it work for more, great. Well, I love the the positive attitude and just the willingness to say whatever the situation is, you know, you're going to be there, you're going to show up, you're going to be there for, for kids. And I think that's what our students need. So yeah, thank you for, for being that available. The Sierra Institute for Community and Environment is a nonprofit located in Taylorsville, California, in the eastern Sierras of Plumas County. The Sierra Institute for Community and Environment's mission is to promote healthy and sustainable forests and watersheds by investing in the well-being of rural communities and strengthening their participation in natural resource decision-making and programs. If you have a story to share, please contact us by emailing me, Nina Martine, at admin admin at sierrainstitute.us or calling 530-927-9621.